Hello and welcome to the Healthy Hustlers podcast, a series of healthy conversations with influential hustlers. I'm your host, Madeline Carafa. Today, I'm chatting all things health, nutrition and conscious living with the creator and host of the Plant Proof podcast, Simon Hill. Simon has created a phenomenal online community where listeners and now readers can easily access and understand everything they need to know about adding more plants to their plate and upgrading their health. Starting his career fresh out of university in 2008, Simon worked as a physiotherapist in Melbourne with the AFL and VFL treating athletes. Before he became curious about how nutrition was playing a role in nourishing their bodies and preventing disease. This newfound passion kick-started an incredibly successful journey for Simon, who is now a qualified nutritionist, host of one of the country's top-rating health podcast shows, The Plant Proof Podcast, a published author of The Proof is in the Plants, and if that's not enough, his restaurant Eden Bondi is serving up plant-based goodness with a menu that includes food, wine, and cocktails. Joining me on the show in celebration of his new book, The Proof is in the Plants, Simon's mission is to create a more sustainable and peaceful earth that future generations can be proud of. And to do so, he helps us become more informed, mindful and conscious about the healthy decisions we're making. Here's Simon. Introducing Australia's new feel-good place for all things health, beauty and wellness. Beautifullyhealthy.com.au is now open. Hustle your way to beautifullyhealthy.com.au and explore their range of over 6,000 health, wellness and beauty products. Sign up as a member and you'll receive 15% off your first purchase. Hello, Simon, and welcome to the Healthy Hustlers podcast. How are you today? Very good. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. I feel like it's been a long time coming, so I'm very excited to have you on the show. I've you've been requested regularly from a few guests, so I'm really excited to get into this chat today. So thanks for your time. <laughs> Great. That's good to hear. Now, I guess I like starting most of conversations in the same way, and given the nature of the show, Healthy Hustlers, I really like to find out if you have a daily non-negotiable ritual, maybe self-care practice that really helps you to hustle the healthy way. I have a core set, I would say, of, of non-negotiables. And let me be upfront with this and, and say these are probably not the trendiest things, <laughs> but, but in my view are some of the most evidence-based things that we can do as humans to set ourselves up for good health and happiness. And they're certainly the things that I always come back to if I'm not feeling 100%. The first of those is sleep. And for me, Sleep is about a sleep routine and making sure I'm getting seven to eight hours sleep. Ideally, the temperature in the room is relatively cool because we know that helps get into a more restful state. Try and dim the lights before I'm going to bed, at least an hour or so before going to bed. We know that doing that helps with the the changes in, in our hormones that take place, again, that help us get into a restful state. And I try not to eat a few hours before going to bed because it's it's not just light exposure, but it's also meal timing that, again, affects the release of melatonin, that hormone that helps send us to sleep. So for me, that sleep routine is really, really important. I'm often asked, what's my morning routine and ritual? And I say it starts the night before. So that 
is one of the, I guess, foundations of uh, my self-care practices. And on top of that, and I'm sure we'll delve into this further, the second is diet and getting the foundations of diet right. It doesn't have to be perfect every meal or every day, but consistently eating well is certainly one of my goals. And you know, a real priority of mine is to eat a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables every single day, in particular dark leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and berries. Uh, those are some of my favorites. On top of that, lots of water to stay hydrated, uh, an hour of exercise that ideally causes me to break a, a sweat, whatever that may be, weights or on the bike or going for a jog. And I alluded to this, but what I've noticed is that if I'm not feeling 100%, these are the parts of my life that I like to examine and, and practice more closely. And that can be difficult to remember in, a, in a, a world where we're constantly faced with all sorts of trendy solutions offering a quick fix, but in, in, in sort of lots of practice playing around with it, that's certainly been a big learning for me. Well, they mightn't be trendy, but they sound great to me. And I can definitely, yeah, agree with you on the sleep one. That's been a huge priority for me for a really long time and it has such a profound impact. So I'm really glad that you touched on that. I guess for any listeners who might not know you, I'm sure there's not many because like I said, you have been requested on the show before, but could you give a little sneak peek into yourself, Simon Hill? Sure. So I'm a bit of a science nerd. I'm the son of a professor who is a uh, has been researching cardiovascular and type 2 diabetes risk factors uh, for 30 plus years. My dad's a physiologist and so as long as I can remember I've been surrounded by science and I used to come home from school, hop in the car, there'd be a pile of journal studies on the seat that I'd have to get out of the way in order to get in the seat. <laughs> I'd walk into the kitchen and they'd be everywhere, sprawled everywhere on the coffee table in his office. Uh, you name it, those scientific studies were there. So science became a very normal part of my life from an early age and something that I developed a great appreciation for. After high school, I did physiotherapy and was working in sports physiotherapy private practice in Melbourne and also with AFL footballers. And then I went on to do nutrition, to study nutrition and to become a nutritionist. And that sort of led me to doing everything that I'm doing today. So I host a podcast which is dedicated to evidence-based nutrition where I'm very lucky I get to connect with lots of different experts from all over the world, uh, neurologists, cardiologists, gastroenterologists, people that specialize in gut health, uh, endocrinologists, people that specialize in hormones, dietitians, neuroscientists, longevity scientists, etc. I just really love talking about science and taking science and breaking it down for people so they can make practical changes to their diet, improve their health and become more conscious of, of, of how their food choices are affecting the world around them. On top of that, I uh, recently published a book. So I took a lot of the information that I'd unearthed through my own studies and through the conversations that I was having with all of these experts and put that into a written form to sort of walk people through 
what a healthy diet looks like and, and where we may be going wrong and, and where we can perhaps make some improvements. Yeah, amazing. I know it's so incredible to see what you've done with your platform, you know, across Instagram, podcast, now a book. Uh, it's really amazing to see that you've been able to create this, you know, a fully fledged business that is helping, you know, hundreds of thousands of people across the world. How does that feel for you, I guess, having that impact now? It feels good. You know, initially I never I never had sort of set out to become an author and to host a podcast that would be listened to by so many people. Initially, for me, the quest for this knowledge was for my personal health and for the health of my family. I saw what loss of health looked like firsthand. My dad actually had a heart attack in front of me when I was young. And and so when I was in my mid-20s and I was discovering this information in the nutrition science literature – and I saw how much more control over our health we actually have, much more control than I'd been led to believe. And I saw how many of these chronic diseases we've very much normalized in our communities, types of various types of cancer, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, uh, even Alzheimer's dementia. I was, I was able to see that it doesn't have to be this way we can, to a large extent, really improve our health span, the number of years we're living in good health, which allows us to do more of whatever it is we love to do for longer. And so initially, upon stumbling across this information, it challenged a lot of what I knew uh, and a lot of what I was practicing when it came to a healthy lifestyle. And so I had to overcome that, make the changes personally, and then I felt very inspired to help my friends and family around me. So, yeah, it feels good today to have gone from that position to now being able to assist people in the broader community. And, yeah, I just consider myself very fortunate to be and very privileged to be in the position uh, to be able to do this and to be able to communicate this information. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also such a testament to your hard work, you know, and going out there and, and- studying and and doing the research and putting yourself out there. So yeah, it's amazing. I I absolutely love watching what you're doing. Um, And we are talking today in celebration of your new book, which you have um, already mentioned. The proof is in the plants. Congratulations on that. Um, I guess for anyone who is new to the plant-based diet or is potentially thinking about trying it, can you give a few insights or tips on how people can successfully make that shift? The first thing that I would encourage people to consider is not focusing so much on perfection or an end goal. We understand from nutrition science that plant-based dietary patterns, and I say dietary patterns as a plural on purpose there, uh, because that plant-based within the scientific literature really can mean anything from a well-constructed Mediterranean diet to a a pescatarian diet, to a vegetarian diet, to a completely plant-exclusive diet. And something that I tried to make really clear in my book is that there are health benefits on offer no matter the extent of the changes you make. So I encourage people to start small and to take some of the pressure off that comes with a label. I think there, there is a very small subset of people out there who certainly can do well changing a lot of things overnight but it is a very small subset 
And most people do much better with small micro changes and stacking those on top of each other over time and building confidence as you go. So starting small, and and that might be thinking about doing one meal a day, or it might be one plant-based meal a week. Depends what you're, where you're coming from. Or perhaps it might be just thinking about simple swaps. For example, swapping cow's milk with a plant-based milk that you like. So my, that's my first tip, starting small. The second is around seasoning your meals. This is a big one. I think that sometimes where people go wrong is this idea that you have to give up your joy for food and that it's not going to taste great. And often I'm asked about foods like tofu or beans or tempeh. And if you haven't been eating a lot of these and you just start adding them to your meals and you're not seasoning them, they can taste a little bland. Yeah. And, <laughs> they <definitely> and so <laughs> the first thing I, I like people to think about is perhaps think about chicken as an example. Mm-hmm. If you just take chicken breast and cook it, even if you cook it with a little bit of oil, but without any marinade or any herbs and spices, it doesn't carry a whole lot of flavor. And so tofu and, and tempeh and beans are very similar. Think of them as the medium, the texture, but you have to provide the flavor through herbs and spices and condiments. And so, yes, eating tofu out of a packet without doing anything to it will be bland, but if you want to make it taste, uh, have a Japanese flavor or a Mexican flavor, you can do that with herbs and spices. So that's really important. And the take-home point I want people to understand there is that Eating more plant-based does not mean giving up your joy for food. Plant-based meals should and do taste delicious. It's just going to take a little bit of time for you to work out how to season them in a way that you enjoy. I love that you touched on the small changes as well at the start because I actually went plant-based a few years ago now um, before I had my daughter and we'd been overseas and I hadn't eaten, I never eat any forms of like animal products um, when I travel. And so I was feeling so good and I was, my husband was too. And we're like, oh, let's, let's eat plant-based. But I, where I went wrong was almost putting this myself in this box of like, well, I eat plant-based now. So that's all I can eat. And it became so overwhelming and not enjoyable as well, because I was so worried about not enjoying it and putting this label on, well, I can't say I'm plant-based if I, you know, eat this one thing in an event or whatever it was. So I'm really glad that you touched on that because I think that's such an important point. I just want people to think about the long game. If you put a lot of pressure on yourself or you try and do something overnight and it lasts two, three, four weeks and then you revert back because it was unsustainable for you, well, what was the point of that? Yeah, exactly. What we want is life-lasting changes, not Mm -hmm. perfection, but whatever changes you can make that you're going to be able to stick with for as long as possible. Really, each person themselves understands what that is based on their personal circumstances and all of their previous uh, experiences in their life, their family, their culture, all of that, the starting point will be different and the, the unique steps will be different. There's no one size fits all sort of transition plan, 
unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> the one other thing I would add there that I think can help, and there is some good science that speaks to this, is, is controlling your environment. You know, I write in part one of the book, one of the big reasons why so many Australians are, are not eating a healthy dietary pattern is that our environment, the food environment, is really stacked against us. It's, yes. it, it, it makes it very difficult to consistently make healthy food choices. But one thing we can control, most of us anyway, is our environment at home. And there's some really interesting science, uh, and they, they actually call this choice architecture. And essentially, what we want to do is when we're wanting to introduce new habits into our life, we want those behaviors to be simple and effortless, as effortless as possible. And the opposite for a food choice behavior we're trying to minimize or get rid of, we want to make it harder, more difficult. And so if we're trying to, say, eat less ice cream or ultra-processed foods, as an example, ideally, we want to create some resistance so that it is harder to eat ice cream. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to not bring it into the household. And if it's out of sight, out of mind, then there's more effort required to get it. And so to what extent someone wants to do that really depends on on where they're at and their relationship with their food. But I think it's an important learning is setting up your pantry, your kitchen, so that it is easier for you to make the healthy choice more often. Yes, I feel like that is such an important one, especially if you are starting out, you know, on the health journey as well and you are focusing a lot on your nutrition now, not having it around you is so incredibly important, isn't it? Certainly. And and again, that might not be something that someone perfects overnight, but it starts with being organized with your shopping list. Sometimes the obstacle is the way. Changing our diet is not easy. It's not. Often, when we've changed our diet and many years down the track, we can lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want people to think it's easy. It's not easy. And you will need to invest some time, for example, in this scenario, looking at your kitchen, making some lists and having a real plan of attack when you go to the grocery store. Now, that time is well invested. Over time, you won't have to spend the the time planning this will become a habit which means it's it's unconscious mm-hmm. but in order to develop habits we have to go through this process where it is a very conscious behavior for a period of time until we've done enough repetitions that it becomes unconscious definitely i feel like for so many people in our country right now as well you know are in lockdown and could use this as a perfect time to be able to do that, make those changes because we can't just be going out and about like we used to. We're not as exposed to things in workplaces, you know, vending machines, on public transport where we find all of those, I guess, naughty or healthy foods. We're not driving as much and stopping to get food and the only option is 
crappy food, really, or I shouldn't say crappy bad food or naughtier food. So I think, you know, using this as an opportunity almost to, to make those conscious decisions now. I know personally when I did that, I was in a really bad environment in a workplace where there was always birthday cakes and chocolate and, you know, all of those things on the platter. And I got in a really bad habit of, of eating them every day. And it wasn't until I went on a two-week work trip that I thought now's the perfect opportunity to almost be very conscious about what I'm eating and say no to those things because I'm going to have to work really hard to get them. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have to find a service station or a convenience store to buy those things. So if I only have healthy snacks on me, then that's what I'm probably going to consume. And it's crazy just even the difference in that two weeks, how much my palate changed, how much I actually just like I could not eat a block of dairy milk chocolate now. And once upon a time, that was something I could have eaten in one sitting at my desk. So it is definitely, that's why I think I'm so glad that you touched on those small changes because it's not something that you can do overnight. But like you said, over time, it will become more and more of just a habit that you do without even mm -hmm. recognizing and you will go for that healthy snack because you know it makes you feel good. And it also tastes so good to you now because, you know, I guess for you personally, what has been kind of the greatest changes since going to a plant-based diet? I guess from a food point of view, I, I came into this, grew up in Melbourne. I was playing football. I was working with AFL footballers. I was training at the gym. I was surrounded by gym and fitness culture. And as a, a result of, of being in those environments, my diet was a, a sort of classic male athlete <laughs> bodybuilder style diet, yeah. which meant it consisted of large amounts of animal protein, mm -hmm. very small amounts of fiber or, or just not enough fiber and minimal plant diversity. The one thing I had going for my diet was I wasn't eating a lot of ultra processed foods. And so... For me, the, the biggest changes I needed to make was downshifting on animal protein and getting more plant protein in, into my diet mm -hmm. and increasing the number of unique plants that I was eating, eating with more variety, more colors. And I didn't put a label on what I was doing. I didn't know to what extent the, the changes that I would make. I knew that I wanted to shift in that direction and I had quite a few fears uh, around the science was very clear from a, a, a chronic disease point of view and longevity but I did have in the back of my mind some fears around what about athletic performance and optimizing that and achieving my my sort of athletic endeavors and so it was a, a slow transition for me over around nine months and to be honest what was propelling me to continue removing animal products and adding more plants was the feedback that my body was giving me. Yes. I was feeling more energetic. I felt like my digestion after meals was lighter, it was more effortless. I didn't feel like I needed to go and have a big nap like I would if I, if I had a big steak, for example. Uh, and I felt like my sleep was improved. And so I was getting these little signs that the changes I was making, my body was receiving them very well. Yeah. And so that was improving my confidence. And at the same time, I was seeing that my performance was, was definitely not negatively impacted in any way at all. Mm -hmm. And if anything, 
my frequency of training, I was able to train more frequently. And I think that's something that is quite common. You see a lot of older athletes. When I say old, I mean in terms of sports. Uh, and they might be coming to the end of their career. Depending on the sport, they might be late 30s, mid 30s. And you see a lot of these guys moving to a plant-based diet or at least more plant-based. And we don't necessarily have any good published science that has looked at this. But anecdotally, a lot of these athletes are saying they're recovering better Mm -hmm. and they feel less inflamed. So my anecdotal experience certainly was that I could increase my frequency. And still to this day, I'm so surprised by how frequently I, I train and how well I recover. Yes. And I honestly feel, and I lift some heavy weights uh, in terms of squatting and, and like bench pressing and all those compound lifts that my body, I'm definitely stronger today. I'm, I'm, I'm Today I'm stronger than I've ever been in my life. And I feel like my mobility and my recovery is as good as it's ever been. So, That's, I guess, speaking personally about my experience with changing my diet. We'll be right back after this healthy break. Australia's exciting new online destination for all things health, beauty and wellness is now open. If you are passionate about health and beauty and you want to look and feel great, then beautifullyhealthy.com.au is for you. As an online health, beauty and wellness community, members will benefit from relevant on-trend brands at affordable prices, gifts, specials, rewards and rich content. It's your one-stop online shop for all your health, beauty and wellness needs. It's everything you need for your medicine cabinet, a curated selection of your favorite beauty brands and a full range of your wellness needs from your vitamins to your yoga mat and everything in between. Plus, by simply buying any product from beautifullyhealthy.com.au, they shall donate a percentage of profits to a humanitarian or health cause that you choose. So register to become a member and claim your 15% off your first purchase and enjoy shopping at the feel-good place, beautifullyhealthy.com.au. For anyone who has maybe tried a plant-based diet before and hasn't felt like they could completely thrive, what are some of kind of the key nutrients that they could be looking out for to ensure that they are really serving their body the best they can? There's a few things to troubleshoot. And I will say I had to troubleshoot some things. Mm -hmm. So I should add to, to what I just said then, very early on in the first couple of months, I noticed that I was losing a little bit of weight size and that worried me (laughs) and you know I had the the doubts creeping in but what I realized was my diet was much less calorie dense and I hadn't adjusted so as a result I was eating much less calories than I had been previously yeah okay that's something that's really important from a troubleshooting point of view. If someone is transitioning and they're they within a month they're saying their energy levels are down, in my experience, almost always it's a calorie thing. Okay. And so the animal products that that are typically removed are very calorie dense. That means a lot of calories per bite. In comparison, legumes and even tofu and whole grains and fruits and vegetables that people are eating more of, these are really healthy foods, but from a volume perspective, there's much 
much less calories per bite. Mm -hmm. So if your plate is made up of the same number of bites, it's going to be less calories. The answer to that, there's two options. You can increase the volume of your meal, which means it's taking up more room on the plate visually. So the plant-based meal looks bigger, but it's actually equivalent amount of calories due to the difference in calorie density. Or you can look to add more calorie-dense plant foods into your diet, like nuts and seeds, and that can help increase your total caloric intake. So that's something that I would definitely recommend someone to to sort of troubleshoot, particularly if in the in the early period they're noticing changes in energy. It's usually not a micronutrient thing at that stage. Yes. That was definitely something for me personally that when I tried going plant-based, I obviously didn't have that knowledge. And yeah, I really struggled with a lot of weight gain really, really quickly. And from that, a lack of energy, which was so hard because I loved eating. I love eating a plant-based diet. So I guess that's why I really want to ask that question because I think it's yeah so important and we're given so much information these days constantly, you know, especially with social media. And sometimes it's not always the correct one or the information that's actually supporting us. Yeah, definitely. And so I think if I heard you correctly, you, you were talking about it the other way. Did you say when you, so when you transitioned, did you say you gained weight? No, I lost weight. I oh, lost, lost a lot weight. of weight. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I'm naturally, you know, quite a small person. So for me, very quickly to lose weight was like very obvious and quite emotional as well because I was like, oh my goodness, like here I'm trying to do this for my health. But yeah, that's why I guess why I really wanted to, but you know, I, I believe so much in the diet and, you know, my husband thrives off it. He's been plant-based for yeah quite a long time now. So yeah, that's probably a personal question I wanted to, yeah, so I wanted to ask. The, well, I would say firstly, the, the fact that, that with a plant-based diet by default, it is low calorie density and often leads to weight loss is a very, very powerful, very advantageous thing in a world where obesity rates are so high. Yes. And we live in what is described as an obesogenic environment. Mm-hmm. We, the fact that you have to work a little harder to gain weight is actually an advantage of this dietary pattern. It's a, it's a, it's a hidden advantage. Where I was going when I asked you that, that, that question around um, weight gain there might be people listening who have gained weight and that can happen too. And usually it's the reverse. So not understanding calorie density and going very heavy on the oils and the nuts and the seeds. Okay. And so in that reverse scenario, it's when I'm working with someone who's sort of working through that, it's around, okay, how can we incorporate more lower calorie dense plant foods into your diet that are very high in fiber, low in calories like broccoli and cauliflower and mushrooms and foods like that, that provide a lot of bulk that fill you up on fewer calories. So the opposite can occur. I just want to sort of point that out. It is less common, but it it can occur. To your question around nutrients, I write in part three of my book, part three is all about the practical changes, the tips and tricks to give someone the confidence to to make the changes to their plate. And I take the point of view or the, the approach that all dietary patterns need to be appropriately planned. And it's not a negative thing to have particular nutrients in a dietary pattern that you need to be aware of. 
I want people to be aware of them because then that way they can optimize their diet and they can do better. Yes. There's no point just pretending that a certain dietary pattern is a panacea and sending people off on their way and then they fail. Mm -hmm. So these eight nutrients of focus are for people that are adopting plant-based dietary patterns, whether they're plant predominant or plant exclusive. And I go through uh, vitamin B12, vitamin D3, omega-3s, iodine, iron, calcium, zinc, and selenium. Really the big four that people really need to plan for are iodine, B12, vitamin D3, and the omega-3s. And so if I was to quickly walk through those, when it comes to vitamin B12, if someone is adopting a plant-exclusive diet without any animal foods, they really do need to be taking a vitamin B12 supplement Mm -hmm. or consistently eating fortified foods. My personal preference is is to take a vitamin B12 supplement. I just think it's a little more bulletproof. Mm -hmm. Uh, Iodine, there are a few different sources. You can get iodine in iodized salt. Depending on the brand, it's usually around half a teaspoon a day will provide sufficient iodine. That's going to be completely okay for for most people unless you are doing a low-salt diet as recommended by your physician, perhaps someone with cardiovascular disease or high blood pressure, for example. Mm-hmm. The other options are dulse uh, and wakame flakes, which are a type of seaweed. Two teaspoons of that a day will be enough to give you the, the daily recommendation of iodine or you can take a supplement. That's the third option. And this is really important because we do know that plant-based populations tend to have lower levels of iodine on testing. And and iodine is very important for many functions in the body, but particularly for our thyroid health. Okay. The third one, vitamin D3. This goes for really everyone, no matter what dietary pattern you're following. If you, particularly if you live in northern latitudes where you're not getting a lot of sun exposure, then you want to be thinking about taking a vitamin D3 supplement, at least as a bare minimum, getting a blood test and seeing where your D3 levels are, and then deciding whether supplementation is right for you or depending on where you live in the world, perhaps you can, you can get sufficient vitamin D levels through safe sun exposure. And then the fourth one that I mentioned as as the sort of top four was omega-3s. And there's a few ways that you can ensure omega-3s in a plant-based diet. I think most people will be familiar that fish contain omega-3s. They contain the long-form omega-3s that are called DHA and EPA. I don't want to make this too complex. But plants contain a short form called ALA. Our body can convert ALA into those long forms, DHA and EPA, that are in fish, which are the biologically active forms. Okay? So if you're eating a plant-exclusive diet, you can get your omega-3s from foods like flax, chia seeds, walnuts, hemp seeds. And as little as one tablespoon a day of ground flax for a woman and two tablespoons a day for a man is sufficient ALA 
to provide enough DHA and EPA to the body. However, there is some evidence to suggest that that conversion ratio of ALA to DHA and EPA can differ from person to person. So if you wanted an insurance policy, and this is what I do, you can take an algae oil supplement. So fish contain omega-3s because they eat algae that's rich in Mm omega-3s. Now there are companies that are harvesting that algae directly and putting the DHA and EPA directly into a capsule and you can buy that. So depending on whether you can justify the cost of that, you may want to include an algae oil supplement in your regime. Mm -hmm. So that's four of the the eight that I go through uh, in the book. Wow. You've definitely um, done years of work on this, haven't you? It's amazing that you can just reel all of that off. I'm so excited to dive into your book. It's definitely what I need at the moment, so I'm really excited to get into that. One thing that I do like seeing is, I guess, people taking that really more holistic approach when it comes to their health, but also, you know, a plant-based lifestyle. You know, we we are becoming more conscious of the de- decisions that we're making, where we're sourcing our food, and I guess also that household waste and the impacts that that actually has on the environment. In what ways do you continue to kind of inject those healthy habits and changes into your life? That's a great question. So I think we're all... We all have that internal dialogue of how do we continually get our actions to be more aligned with our values and beliefs. Mm. And so recently, actually, at home, and I have a restaurant in Bondi as well, we've gone through and reviewed different compost services. And I live in an apartment complex, so unfortunately, I don't have my own garden but we've signed up to a, a compost service in Sydney, and these now exist in most cities, definitely mm-hmm. in Australia and, and a lot of big cities around the world, where you can get a compost bin and a compost company will come out and collect that on a weekly or fortnightly basis. Mm-hmm. And then those scraps will make their way back to ideally to a farm and those nutrients will end up back into the soil. So that's something that we've signed up to both at home and and at the restaurant, the restaurant being the really important one because a lot of food waste occurs in in restaurants. So Yeah, definitely. um, There's a big opportunity there to do better. Um, So we've definitely been examining that. The other thing, and I haven't quite signed up to this one yet, but it was just brought to my attention, I didn't realize that only around 20-25% of what we put into the recycling bin can actually be recycled. There are a whole lot of packagings and even devices like electronic devices, various things at home that we may want to dispose of. And there's a a company called Recycle Smart. I have no affiliation with them and and really uh, don't know a whole lot about them other than it was brought to my attention. They look like they're doing great work. And you can sign up and they will provide bags that you can fill with different types of like cosmetic packaging that would otherwise not be recycled or electronics, you know, tricky products, and they'll make sure that they are recycled responsibly. So um, that's something else that we're looking at. 
Wow, I love that. It's so important in cities as well, isn't it? Because it's so easy to kind of take that approach of, oh, it's not available to me or, you know, I live in an apartment. So it's really important that we are looking for those solutions. And I love that you're on the forefront of doing that. I think it also shows that, you know, we are always evolving as humans and and aligning things with our values. So it's not like you just get to a certain point and and have it all figured out. It's, you know, we're we're always evolving and and adding new (laughs) things. So thank you for sharing that. I think, yeah, it's really, really important. You know, it starts small. Five, six years ago, I can remember the day where I decided not no longer to buy plastic water bottles. That was a huge step for me at, at that point. Today, that seems like very obvious, very simple thing to do. Mm-hmm. Back then, you know, signing up to a compost service and recycle smart would have been too big <laughs> of a step for me. But, yeah, but focusing on that that Mount Franklin water bottle and single use straws. That was the step I needed to take. And you're right, that then one thing led to another and another conversation and and just you're constantly evolving and becoming more aware of the impact that your life has on the world around you. Yeah, absolutely. There's a beautiful book that I have for my daughter. She's only 20 months, but it's called Change Starts With Us. And it's this beautiful picture book. I think it's by Simon... Uh, sorry, Simon, I'm doing Simone, <laughs> Simone Beer. And it is all about, you know, how we can create change at home. And it shows you just how, I guess, for me, going back to how small those changes can actually be and how much of an impact over time that it will actually make. So it is things like reusing your drink bottle looking after your backyard, you know, it's it's all of the not wasting water when you're brushing your teeth. So it's all of these simple little things that children can start today that's actually over time having a really profound impact on our environment and the world around us. Yeah, well, just as we accepted straws and plastic as normal, you're right. Like if you, when you're you're raising your kids like that, well, their normal is reuse, mm-hmm, recycle. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you're right, that's how you change the world. Definitely. And I think, yeah, just having that conversation at home, if it's about, yes, you know, social matters or environmental issues or like talking about it in your home is, is where the change starts. Mm. So I don't think, you know, anyone listening to this, exactly what you said, don't get overwhelmed about the idea of compost, but know that the small changes you are making each and every day are over time having a huge impact. Um, so I would love to really get your insight and thoughts into where we actually purchase our food and how that actually has an impact on our overall health and also the nutritional benefit of the food that we are purchasing. I guess being totally transparent here, this is an area where I wish there was more research. And I, I think we need to kind of put things into context and then I'll tell you where I land and what I wrote in the book. Because this can become a very divisive topic, particularly the conventional versus organic, uh, and I and I understand why it can be divisive. I sort of see both sides. When it comes to the actual science, if we're looking at, say, uh, health outcomes between conventional and organic food, and I'm assuming this is where you're going with this yeah, question. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, definitely. Um, so... There are two main studies that have looked at conventional versus organic food in terms of cancer outcomes. And I'd have to say, overall, there doesn't appear to be 
much difference in those studies. Mm-hmm. And there's one of those is a big study out of UK and one is a big study out of France. There is some data to suggest that conventional food could increase the risk of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, but I think we need to understand that this form of evidence is very weak. Mm-hmm. It's very limited. And so I don't want to scare anyone with that. <laughs> I don't think we have any compelling data to scare people away from conventional fruit and vegetables from a health point of view, particularly with the overall context in mind that 95% of Australians are failing to eat enough fruits and vegetables as it is. Mm. And when we look at the research and when you hear anyone talking about science showing the benefits of fruits and vegetables, almost all of those studies are looking at people eating conventional fruits and vegetables. So the first thing I want to say is if you're making these small changes we're talking about away from a standard diet, whether you're choosing conventional or organic, you will improve your health. Yeah. Now, I recommend organic where possible. Why do I recommend that? Well, there's a, there's a couple of reasons here. One is a precautionary approach. And this was a conclusion from a, a meta-analysis uh, last year that looked at this, was that you know there is limited evidence, but it is suggestive of an increased risk of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, so the precautionary principle there would be to buy organic where you can, But if you can't access organic, I wouldn't be overly fearful. Mm -hmm. It's still going to be much better to buy fruits and vegetables, no matter how they've been grown, compared to ultra-processed foods. Yes. The second and quite interesting one is that there are studies showing organic food is richer in antioxidants. That's really interesting for me because antioxidants, what they do to break it down in a really simple way to understand is when we have, uh, you may have heard of free radicals. These are compounds in our body that are considered harmful and an antioxidant is able to stabilize them. It donates an electron. It stabilizes that unstable free radical molecule in our body and prevents it from wreaking havoc. So, We want to be eating antioxidant-rich foods. So there may be a slight advantage where possible buying these organic fruits, vegetables, plant foods that are richer in antioxidants. Mm. And often I'm asked here, well, why are they richer in antioxidants? And that's a really good question. And it comes back to the plant's natural defense system. So in conventional farming, when we spray pesticides and insecticides, we are essentially defending that plant for it. So it becomes a little lazier. It doesn't have to produce the internal defense system molecules, which are these antioxidants. Whereas in an organic farming circumstance, the plant has to fend for itself more against insects or or wind or sun. And so it produces more of these antioxidant compounds. That's the theory anyway. And so to zoom back out, eating more fruits and vegetables, no matter where they come from, is going to be advantageous. 
where possible, buy organic. The other thing I would add there is I would uh, not be concerned whether it's fresh or frozen. I think frozen fruit and vegetables have gotten a bit of a bad name, but in, in some circumstances, they can actually be more nutrient dense than fresh because they're flash frozen. And they can also be very convenient and quite cost effective for people. So yeah, that's kind of where I, I land on all of this. Yeah, I love that. It's a topic that I'm so interested in. And I definitely have a lot of frozen veggies <laughs> in my freezer. I think especially being a mum, it's so convenient to make sure that you're always having, you know, such a wide variety of veggies in the kids' meals. So you definitely have a lot of the, the good frozen ones. But yeah, I find it a really interesting topic actually, because it was probably just part of my health journey, I guess, what we we're talking about earlier, where you now are doing things like the compost and making those changes of the environment around you. You know, I had been eating convention re veggies and stuff for quite a while and you know very heavy plant-based diet but just before I fell pregnant I actually really focused on making that organic and you know personally I found a really really profound impact um, especially throughout pregnancy and my birth I was able to have a natural birth but you know that's just my personal experience and I know it doesn't come from research or knowledge so it's why I was really interested to ask you about that yeah, so I mean, even even though that's your personal experience, it's it's still important for you to listen to. Mm. Uh, you know, I think the science guides us to a degree, and I wouldn't take anything away from anyone who has had a sort of personal anecdotal experience with something, particularly in this instance where we know that eating fruits and vegetables is going to promote good long term health. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes where the anecdotal stuff becomes an issue is where the change in behavior or action, while it may have produced immediate benefit, could be detrimental long-term, yes. uh, yeah, which yeah. sometimes we can see online. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, certainly if, if someone is, is choosing organic and feeling great, I'm all for that. I think buying organic where possible uh, you know, makes sense. I think it is the sort of precautionary approach here. And, you know, to add another sort of uh, layer onto this, I think understanding where your food comes from. And again, we're talking about the evolution. This, does, this isn't going to happen overnight. But I think uh, naturally one of the steps that, that occurs for a lot of people after they start thinking about how their food's grown is, well, where's it grown? And getting yeah. down to the local markets and, mm-hmm. and speaking to the farmers and asking them about their farming practices and, and finding out. Do they use cover crops? Are they are they not tilling? Uh, do they care about regenerating the soil? And so, while those questions can seem like a little too much, if you're sort of you know your your first step is just to eat more plants, you know someone who is a little bit further down the track may be interested in uh, exploring that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the soil is definitely an interesting one as well. I guess I would love to finish today's conversation by finding out what a day on your plate actually looks like. Most days I start with oatmeal. Uh, We know that whole grains do wonders for our risk of chronic disease and improving our lifespan. So I usually will start the day off with either uh, soaked overnight oats or cooked oats. And on top of those will be some fresh berries and nuts, seeds, cinnamon, etc. 
Yeah, uh, lunch, <laughs> lunch is yeah, nice and simple, but but delicious. Uh, very reliable. Yes, uh, l- definitely. <laughs> lunch is usually some type of Buddha bowl. Uh, today I have some leftovers, so some quinoa, sweet potato, uh, tempeh, greens, uh, chickpeas, sauerkraut, uh, and some tahini. I'll probably add some nuts to the top of that, pistachios or walnuts. Uh, dinner is usually a really big salad, lots of dark leafy greens, sweet potato, uh, tofu or other beans. The legumes are uh, sort of the main source of protein when it comes to plants. Uh, and in that salad will be other things like corn and cucumber, etc., and perhaps some sort of dressing, like a lemon-based dressing. Uh, and then around that style of eating, there are smoothies. Depending on my appetite and training, there'll be smoothies with plant milk, uh, perhaps some plant protein powder, some berries, some dates, bananas, etc. And then for snacks, often or usually a piece of fruit, whatever is is sort of on hand. Uh, and that's how I would eat, I'd say, 80 to 90% of the time. But then there is definitely room for more relaxed eating. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I go out and enjoy meals with friends when we're not in lockdown. And so that's typically, I guess, the way that I personally kind of balance things out. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess when you are in those situations with friends where you are dining, how are you conscious of your food choices then? To be honest, it's not a huge because I because my eighty to ninety percent is really really good. Mm-hmm. I'm not sitting down on the menu and always trying to order the healthiest thing. Yeah, a lot of the awesome. time when I when I eat out, I, I I order the the types of meals that I wouldn't cook at home or I couldn't cook at home. A new experience mm-hmm. or something that I've just been craving, like I a plant based <laughs> burger, or you know, I, I I let my hair down a little bit and. <laughs> um, I find for me that's a really sustainable way of eating. I have a very healthy relationship with food. I don't feel like I'm restricting. I enjoy those those social outings. Uh, but I understand as well that that can look a little differently depending on you know what someone's goals are, where where their health's yeah. at, uh, the type of restaurant they're at, and so forth. But also, I should add there, I'm not tending to sort of go out and eat at the fast food junk food restaurants um you <laughs> I know couldn't imagine i'm also you not, sitting there don't worry <laughs> also not fine dining but i'm not sitting at mcdonald's no. or equivalent yeah. uh it's cafes and restaurants that mm-hmm. for, for the for the main are doing really delicious plant-based foods yes it's a little more indulgent than i would cook at home um but it's certainly it's not mcdonald's yeah absolutely and i think it goes back to what you were saying earlier about those food choices at home and having the right things surrounded by you allows kind of that so much more freedom mentally to just go out and enjoy yourself. I know that's personally, yeah, I, I feel quite the same of when I go out, I do feel like I can just enjoy myself and not take it too seriously when it comes to my health because yeah, 80% of the time at home, I've been pretty diligent. I think so. And I, and I also think for me, part of it is leading by example and you know, I have a number of friends who are now plant-based, but I have a number of friends who are not. And yeah. I think it's good for them to see me out with them all the time, enjoying my food, not yes. feeling restricted. And it's an experience then for them where they may be more inclined to walk away thinking, well, I could do that. 
He yes. didn't. He didn't. He didn't sacrifice his experience, mm-hmm. and so I think uh, it even goes sort of beyond, you know, my personal health. Some of that. Simon, thank you so much for your time today. I've absolutely loved chatting to you. Um, I'll actually link your meal plan in here as well in the show notes for anyone who is wanting to, yeah, try a plant-based diet. The recipes look insane. <laughs> thank you very much, Madeline. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a five-star review. For any products mentioned in today's show, please check the show notes below and hit the direct links. If you'd like to suggest a future guest, please follow at The Healthy Hustlers on Instagram and send through a direct message. Until next week, don't forget to invest in you.